The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. Welcome to the Summer Inn. Thank you for carving out your Tuesday night to be here with us. And um, if you weren't here with us last week, we kicked off our Summer Inn series where we're digging into the life of Peter. And... um, Through digging into the life of Peter, we're going to use that to really help us discern who he was as a disciple, and in turn, how how does that speak to our own discipleship journey? And so, over the course of summer, we'll be looking at Peter and how he really engaged with Jesus specifically as well, and how he saw Jesus as a teacher, and how that informs our walk as well. And um, so, of course, tonight we're going to look at a story, and we're going to figure out how we can insert ourselves into that and apply it to our own um, our own lives. So. At this point, Peter, formerly known as Simon Peter, was a fisherman who responded to the invitation that Jesus gave him. And he left his boat, he dropped his net in the Sea of Galilee, and he said, I'm in. I'm in to follow you. Um, And he did it with a willing heart. And the scriptures lead us to realize a little bit about character of Peter. He was kind of that guy, Carly mentioned last week, that he always found himself putting his foot in his mouth. Like he he blurted out things that he probably didn't really think through very well. He, um, he's, You would observe him to be kind of one of the more unqualified disciples, per se. But what I love about him is he's just so passionate to be wherever Jesus is. He wants to be around people. He is a learner, you can tell. And he really was one of Jesus's inner three. He was really close to him. Um, and last week, if you were with us, Carly dug us into how she understood Jesus through his relationship with Peter, um, that Jesus's ministry was for everyone, that he cared about everybody. And Peter saw that firsthand as he, as Jesus specifically sought out Peter's family, um, specifically his mother-in-law, and healed her um, from being sick. And it really showed Carly that there's really no relationship, and even in our families, that are too difficult of a person that Jesus wouldn't pursue. And Carly also talks about how Jesus called Peter, along with the other disciples, to follow him just as they are, exactly who they are, not anybody else but themselves. Um, And he taught the disciples to go out with willing hearts and willing spirits into ministry. So that's what she left us with to kick off our first week digging into Peter. Tonight, we're going to be fast-forwarding through what you might inquire as pivotal experiences of Peter. But to give a quick and brief overview, we can infer that Peter has witnessed Jesus devote his love and devote his attention to some of the most unlikely candidates he's observing. Um, He's watching Jesus dine um, with the tax collectors. He's giving his attention to the sick. He's healing the blind. He's casting out demons. He's teaching with this authority that people are recognizing him, and all the while gaining the curiosity of many people in the region. Peter's also now watched Jesus speak before enormous crowds as he saw him give the Sermon on the Mount. Um, And Jesus has also personally commissioned Peter to seek out the lost sheep of Israel. And now... Coming up to our story tonight, just before it happens, Peter witnesses the miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Like, Peter had first-hand, like, insight. Like, he saw Peter, or he saw Jesus multiply five loaves of bread and two fish. Like, he watched that miracle play out, and he watched thousands of people being fed that night, and people were left full, and they were not left hungry, and there was even leftovers afterwards. And so, 
that's where we pick up in our story. Um, and it begins as Jesus dismisses the crowds from where they finished their meal. And we find ourselves in the text of Matthew 14, 22 to 33 tonight. And to get it started off, Kelsey, put it up. Oh, Kelsey's on it. Just put it up. All right. We are going to read the text all together first, and then we'll pray and we'll get into um, the application. All right. So immediately... He made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way away from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost! And they cried out in fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Let's pray real quick. Lord, thank you that you are here with us, Jesus. Thank you that your presence is in this room and dwelling among us, God. And I just pray that you would use me tonight to speak your words, Lord. Um, I just ask that I would get myself out of your way. Um, and that, yeah, you would speak tonight, that you would interact uh, with our hearts, Lord. And I just pray that tonight you would awaken us. You would awaken us to the invitation to leave our boats and come out onto the water and join you, Lord. And I just, I pray that there would just be a stirring in this room as we recognize that you believe in us, that you called us to something greater, Lord. Um, and may we respond tonight. Amen. All right, so let's really try and paint this picture of what is going on right now. We've got Peter and his the disciples, his buds. They've been commanded by Jesus to go get in this boat and cross the Sea of Galilee, all right? Jesus wants to go off and be alone. If you read the backstory, Jesus has had actually a really hard day. Um, I love, like, when I was reading through this, I realized, like, Jesus is really human in this moment. Like, he lost his cousin, one of his closest friends, John the Baptist, that morning, he learned that he had died, and when he was trying to be alone, that's when people found him, and then they needed food, and so he provides this miracle, probably hasn't had a lot of time to process what's going on, and so you see Jesus saying, you guys get in the boat, I just need to go and be alone and pray, so we see this moment of Jesus going on, and so I can imagine Peter's thinking, well, no problem. This might be the only time I don't mean Jesus. Like, I'm a professional fisherman. This is the trade that I come on. I know boats. I feel good. You can trust me um, in, this, in this area. So he's been on it his whole life. So Peter, along with the other disciples, um, get on board. Um, but all of a sudden, this storm blows in. And if you really dig into the text, you recognize this is no minor storm. Um, this is really... A, I mean, this sounds like it's a really epic one. The Gospel of Matthew informs us that the boat was beaten by the waves. 
And I can imagine this chaotic scene where almost everybody is aboard the ship right now, or the boat, and they're doing everything they can to keep it staying upright. I mean, I bet the disciples at this point are not even worried about getting to the other side, let alone like just keeping the boat from flipping over. Um, and then you have at three in the morning, which is the fourth watch of the night, one of the disciples in the midst of this chaos notices a shadow moving towards them on the water. And as it, got, as it gets closer, you can imagine that it becomes apparent, and he imagines it to have the outlining of a human walking on the water. And the disciples start to freak out. I mean, that's weird. But they start to freak out. They're convinced it's a ghost. And so, yeah, they're, they cry out. And, yeah, like, let's pause for a moment. Like, okay, our end, we're reading it. We've seen the aftermath. We know it's not a ghost. We know it's, we know it's Jesus. But what the heck is Jesus doing appearing to them like that, like freaking them out at three in the morning in the middle of this chaotic storm. Like, what was going on here? Um, so this story is also given an account of Mark. And if we look at this account in Mark, there's actually a distinct difference that's included that's not given in Matthew. And Carly told us last week that Mark was believed to be the first gospel written, and Mark was pretty good buds with Peter, and he would have given him almost his first-hand account. So I think he includes something and tells Mark something that's not, or that we're not informed of in Matthew. So I'm going to read it really quick, and we'll look at what the difference is. So, and he, Jesus, saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass them by, I'll say it again, he meant to pass them by, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and he cried out. Okay, so Mark's translation says that Jesus intended to pass them by. And at first, I was like, what? <laughs> really? Like, Jesus didn't even plan on helping them out? Like, he was going to be like that? Like, that's kind of like how you read it, you know? Um, but I just sat there, and I'm like, there's no way that's what it means. Like, that was just wouldn't be in alignment with who I'm learned that Jesus is, especially if you read the rest of the Gospels. So, good news, reading this book that Trisha gave me about the sex, and it quotes this guy, this theologian named David Garland, who unpacks this phrase specifically. Um, he points out that there is this verb that's used in that, or in that story, the to pass by, or which means to pass by, and the Greek translation for that is this verb parakomai, if I'm saying it right, and it's, um, and David uh, says that it's only ever mentioned in the Old Testament, actually. And he says that it's actually this technical term, and he uses this quote, it's a technical term to refer to those defining moments when God made striking and temporary appearances in the earthly realm to a selective or a select individual or group for the purpose of communicating a message. So, um, so when Mark says that Jesus intended to pass them by, he doesn't imply that Jesus was taking the easy route by engaging his divine nature and, you know, he was going to pass them by and leave the disciples on their own, you know, until they saw him. Like, oh, shoot, they saw me. I have to go now. Like, that's totally not what it is. Like, he's actually talking something or about something that's really significant, actually. David also notices the theologian that there's a pattern in each of these moments where the Greek verb for the passing by is used in the Old Testament. And he said, in each case... God had to get people's attention in a very striking way. 
An example is that he referred to is when God spoke to Moses through the burning bush. I mean, the burning bush got Moses' attention, you know what I'm saying? So, uh, <laughs> with each person, God was also calling them to do something extraordinary in that encounter. And in each situation, the person that God called, they felt very afraid in each scenario. But every time that people said yes to the invitation that God had for them, they experienced the power of God in their lives, like no, no other time. So if you apply this understanding to Peter and the disciples right now, we get the sense that God is going to use Jesus to really capture their attention. Like God is going to get Peter's attention through the act of walking on water. And this signals that Jesus is about to have a defining moment with him. A very defining moment with him that will lead him to discover the power of God in his life. And I believe launch him into the extraordinary if Peter releases the looming fear in response to his invitation. So, I don't know what sent a stronger message to us than this. Like, Jesus is about to do something big in his discipleship journey. Uh, so we have to pay attention because I think it's informative for us. So, now that the storm has all of our attention... Jesus had decided, it is time that the disciples get to know me a little bit more intimately. And so as we continue diving into the rest of the story tonight, I also want to have you all pay attention to the moments where Jesus is going to shift the disciples' mindsets away from fear and realign it with him. So let's look back at the text in Matthew 14, 26-27. So it says, But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost! And he cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, uh, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. So I, I really empathize with this part of the story so much. I think it's really an honest part of our faith journey. Fear seems to creep its way in in these moments into my life. But as I pause and reflect back on them, um, they often come when growth is on the horizon. Prepared when the Lord is really excited to do things with me. I feel like growth and fear often go hand in hand with one another. And this specific interaction of Jesus should, with Peter should really point us to hope. Um, Jesus hears the disciples cry. He, I'm sure it sounded like a, sh like a shriek of panic. Like, they are really freaked out right now. Um, but Jesus spoke to them immediately. Like, immediately spoke to them to shift their mindset away from the fear when he said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And that's something that I want to point out tonight because the word immediately is used three times in the story. I feel like we should really take notice of the fact that any time that they're, like, they cry out or ask Jesus in these moments of panic and fear, like Jesus says he responds immediately. He acts now. He's on it. He's there. And that's an invitation for us to hear tonight. And I also feel like through this adversity, Jesus saying, that's, not a, that's no problem that I can't take care of. Like, I'm ready to show up for you. Um, I know for me, and things that I've observed, is that the enemy loves to dismantle us from any type of growth. Like he, like, he knows it's coming, and he tries to throw us off. And so he'll put fear in the midst of what's going on in our lives, and he loves to fog my vision so that I can't really see very clearly in the midst of my own personal storms. And I also know that he will try to fog my sight um, to get me to the point that I actually can't recognize the presence of Jesus in the midst of these places. And I feel like that's what's going on. Um, and I'll never forget this story of Jesus 
I'll never forget the story from a student this year that was like shocking to me beyond belief. I remember just like being in awe of the fact of hearing firsthand of Jesus, or the Holy Spirit, like really showing up in somebody's world this year. And there's through uh, one of our friends named Jasmine, and she came to me following winter break and said, you're never going to believe this, like you're never going to believe this story that I just um, had have happened. And so she was interacting with a girl that lives in her sorority. She lives in the Aopi sorority. And this girl, not a believer, doesn't know the Lord at all. And she was sharing with her the story of something that happened over winter break. And she knew the Lord had asked her to tell her something about what the Holy Spirit had done in Jasmine's life. And she's like, this girl's going to think I'm weird. Like, I don't know if I should do this, but really felt called to the prompting. And as she's starting to share about it, the girl interrupts her and goes, I think I know who the Holy Spirit is. She's like, what? You're not even, what? And she goes, yeah, last week, um, I have a lot of like really intense panic attacks that happen pretty regularly, like almost every week. And I've never been able to get out of one and I'm having it and I can't think clearly. I'm feeling like so overwhelmed and all of a sudden, I, like this thought comes to me that you don't have to endure this any longer. Like I have peace for you. Ask me, I can take it away. And that is just mind-blowing that we have a God who so cares so much about us, even for those who aren't believers, that he would show up in the midst of our personal storms to communicate his peace to us, that he doesn't want us to go more minutes thinking about and being robbed by this fear. Um, and that's the second thing that I want us to hear tonight, is that Jesus will interrupt us to strip us of the fear of man, because he knows how much it can hinder us and prevent us from recognizing that God's present with us. And as we continue on in the story, we're about to see Peter kind of change in personality, I don't say personality, but maybe in character. He's, he's maturing a little bit. Like I said, Peter's a bit of a reckless guy. From what we've observed, he's the one who blurts out answers before thinking what he's saying. But we actually observe P Peter kind of doing it right. He inquires of Jesus, like he asks him for clarity before he steps out and does something. And so... In verse 14, 28, Peter answered him saying, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Now, Peter's question to Jesus, I think is really insightful for me. Peter, before getting out of the boat, wants to make sure that Jesus also wants to make sure that like, he wants him to get out of the boat, which I think is great for clarity. And definitely important for us to think about that he doesn't want us to do everything spur of the moment. Um, and what is also important for us to acknowledge in this moment is that Peter didn't ask Jesus for a promise. He didn't say, Jesus, if I come to you, promise me that I won't sink. He specifically asked for a command. Lord, if it's you, command me. Peter didn't ask for a guarantee. He just asked for an opportunity. And I love that. And it shows that this story is less about risk-taking, and I mean, it is risk-taking, uh, but it's really primarily a story of obedience. It reminds us to seek out the Lord to help us discern between an authentic call from Jesus and what might simply be a foolish impulse. And Peter helps us understand that Jesus wasn't calling him to a reckless risk. He's looking for a risk accompanied by wisdom and discernment. And it's Jesus' invitation that follows, which gives Peter the faith to believe that he could too share the adventure with him. And I know that when Jesus commands, he enables us as well. So looking back at the scriptures in verses 29, we read that Jesus responds to Peter's question by extending the invitation, come. 
So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Again, let me remind us in this room that this storm is still wild. It has not come down yet. Imagine the size of the waves and the strength of the wind, the darkness of the night. And it's three in the morning. They're probably exhausted. I mean, these are the conditions under which Peter is willingly getting out of the boat. And pretend you're Peter. And Jesus just invited you to, I would say, the adventure of a lifetime. To be the very first water walker. You go down in history as the very first water walker. But at the same time, naturally, you're going to be scared to death to get out of that boat for for fear of failure, for fear of sinking. But what would you choose? The water or the boat? The boat appears to be the safe and more secure choice. But on the other hand, the water is rough. The waves are high, the wind is strong, and if you get out of the boat, there's a really good chance that you might sink. But if Peter wanted to walk on water, he knew he had to get out of the boat. And he does. And he abandons himself utterly to the power of Jesus. And I love it because I get this sense that Peter just was so hungry to be with Jesus, to be next to Jesus, that he knew that it involved him leaving what was comfortable to go out on the water to be with him. And in this, he begins to experience this divine power of God in the extraordinary ways. And that's the third point I want us to hear tonight, is that Jesus believes we can walk on water. I heard a quote last week by somebody that said, we're saved when we believe in Jesus, but we're transformed when we realize that Jesus believes in us. And that so hit my spirit. Like, Jesus believes in every single one of you that's here in the room tonight. He believes in the real, authentic you before you make yourself perfect. And he wants you to hear the encouragement that he has for you this evening. He believes in you right before you get it, right? Even if you fail, even with your faults and the quirky things about you. And we will dig into this later, but Jesus believes in Peter already knowing that he's going to sink. He believes in him anyways. He's not even phased by it. Like he believes more in Peter than Peter would ever believe in himself. Ever before he believed he's capable of anything. And there's something about having that revelation that Jesus believes in us. Or the revelation that people in your community, like people that you look up to, believe in you. That they will call you higher than you believe you can take yourself. And those people are Jesus we find speak truth over us. If I find that it conjures up this something. It, it, it rises up something on the inside of us that we didn't even know was there. When I was in college, I signed up as a sophomore to go on the DR trip with my core group. And I went into the trip with like one foot in the world and a wobbly foot in Jesus' world and knew I needed to go figure it out. And I go on this trip and I'm gonna let you know me be me, my core group's gonna I'll be vulnerable with, but I'm I'm still like figuring things out, right? But the whole time I'm there, there's these two voices that like kept showing up daily. One being an intern named Jen, and another was our student leadership coordinator at the time, Mike. And these people are like, it's like they saw me with a different set of eyes. I'm like, you don't, you see me here when I know I'm here. <laughs> a lot more of the time than I'm here. Um, but they, they were calling me higher and they kept believing. Like, they're like, Bex, when you get back, like, let's sign up for student leadership. Like, you can play next year's spring friendship with us. And I was just like, whoa, all right. Like, I don't know. 
Because uh, it's like, there's something that I do, like, review about myself, I felt like, in order to be there. And as I was reflecting on this today, it, I was realizing, like, I was hesitant to the call because I was, like, in my own boat at that time. Um, and my boat, for me, kind of symbolized this, like, life of secrecy that I had to cover up who I really was, but I was like trying to take control because I like didn't want this like this boat to flip over and for people to know what was really going on. Like I was really afraid to like seek out advice from people because then I would have to tell them what was really going on. And to me, I thought my boat was safer. The invitation to go out and do something that really made me nervous. But looking back on it, that time like that the boat really wasn't the safer option. The boat just enabled me to have this stagnant faith. It enabled me to just live and endure life, doing life how I wanted it, but I was living my best life, but I wasn't living, living Jesus' best life for me. And I just, I felt stuck. Um, but then finally, like, I had to let go of the grip. I had to let go of the boat, and I believe there is something, there's someone on the inside of you who's going to tell you that there's more to life than sitting in your boat. And he did that for me. And it whispers to us that we are made for something more than merely avoiding failure. And there's something inside of you that wants to walk on the water with you, to leave the comfort of your routine existence and to abandon yourself to the high adventure of following God. And it's fun. It's really fun. So think about it tonight. Like, what is your boat? I don't know what it is for you, but I know that fear could remind you of what it is. Uh, maybe you could ask yourself the questions, you know, what is it in me that produces fear? Especially when I think leaving it behind to step out in faith. Boats can be described as representing safety and security to you that's apart from God himself. Um, our boats could be what keep us comfortable um, and that we don't want to give it up, even if it keeps us from joining Jesus on the waves. Or a boat is whatever it's pulling you away from this high adventure of extreme discipleship. But Peter goes for it, and I so believe that y'all can go for it. And I can go for it. We can leave our boats. We can renounce the comfort, which feels like our ultimate value in life. And we can start walking on the water, where I'm sure when Peter did it, I bet he was beaming. I mean, you, he got to walk on water. I bet he was beaming in that moment, realizing with delight what was happening, you know? But as he's walking out on water, it says that Peter saw the wind. Verse 14:30 reads, But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. This is honest. And this is more us on a regular basis than it is not. And Peter's experience reminds me of experiences I've had when I take my eyes off Jesus and put it back on me. You know, to get out of the boat in the first place, like, I believe that Peter must have had his eyes locked on Jesus. Like, they are narrowed in, zoomed in. Like, he, you could, you, I mean, you had tunnel vision. You couldn't even focus, see the waves, because you were just like, I'm going, I'm doing it, you know? But then, Peter's focus does shift away from the Savior and onto the storm. And the crazy thing is, is that nothing actually changed. Nothing changed. The storm has been going on the entire time. But all of a sudden, suddenly, now it's when he's noticing it. Um, but, I mean, I think about this, like, it shouldn't come as a surprise at all. 
It reminds me of like going up to camp and you have that like camp hack. You come back from Malibu and you are just, you and the Lord are one. You know, you feel good. Things happen to you like the first or two weeks back and you're just like, I can't, I can't even be affected by it because me and Jesus are so close, you know? But then like all of a sudden time goes on and things go on and then you start to notice the wind. You start to notice the elements around you. You see the opposition, you experience unexpected obstacles, there's setbacks. And that will be a part of our discipleship journey. Like, that's part of growing. That's reality. It should come as no surprise that even in obedience, when Jesus does call us out, that we would, you know, that we are guaranteed spared adversity. Jesus doesn't promise us that. Um, so yeah, Peter sank when he got afraid, and that's real. And But I know that a lot of people read this story and they say, oh, Peter, the failure, he sank. People might say that, you know, ah, Peter's faith wasn't strong enough, so that's why. Or, you know, his doubts were stronger. He saw the wind and took his eyes off Jesus. But I really think failure is less defined by what happened. And I think it's failure is really the response to what happened. I don't think that Peter was necessarily a failure. I would say that there's 11 other people that are still sitting in the boat who are the failure to me. They're sitting there and they failed quietly. They've gone unnoticed. They've gone uncriticized. They've, they've gone unobserved. Peter's the one who has his public shame put on him because he sank. But Peter was the only one that said yes to the invitation. He's the only one that got to walk on water. And Peter was the one who, despite failing and sinking into the water, got to know the glory of being lifted up by Jesus in a moment of desperate need. Like Peter knew in a way that others could not, that when he sank, Jesus would be wholly adequate to save him. He had a shared moment and trust in Jesus that no one else would have. That's going to take him through the rest of his faith journey, that moment, knowing the nature of Jesus is one that saves and takes me out. And before it would be easy to think that the perceived place of safety is the boat, I believe we see in that moment that Peter realizes his place of safety is really in the arms of Jesus, that moment of intimacy that he has with him. And Jesus reached out his hand and took a hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? It's easy to hear that statement and think the tone can be really unsettling. But I think that Jesus is actually pretty gentle in that moment. I think he's like, Peter, you were with me all day. You saw me multiply bread and fish. You saw the work of the Spirit in the last however you know while it's been. Like you've seen me. I've revealed myself to you. I've, you know who I am to you. Remember me, because I'm going to protect you in those moments of doubt when you can remember who I am so you know whose you are when you're in that situation. And that's the fourth thing I want us to hear tonight, is that Jesus will realign our sight back onto him. When we reach out for his hand, he wants to realign our sight back onto him. What we don't know, but I love to imagine about this story, and I was talking to Third, is like, we don't know how far out Peter actually got how far he actually walked out when he fell and sank. But we get to imagine that Jesus and Peter had this really sweet moment where they got to walk back to the boat together. And Peter got to have this special time with Jesus where they were hand in hand coming back to the boat. And I think we can't wrap tonight up without acknowledging the response by the other disciples in the boat after they watched Jesus save Peter. 
In verses uh, 14, 32 to 33, it says, When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Through observing Peter sink in the water, the other disciples in the boat realized who does the saving. They saw Jesus at work. Realizing that Jesus is the one who saves led them into a posture of worship. Imagine that. Your perceived failure can lead other people into believing that Jesus is the Son of God. Like, it is okay to fail. It is okay to be vulnerable and share what's going on. And there's going to be people in your life that are going to see the hand of God reach down from heaven and interact with you and pull you back up and go, that is a God who saves. That's a God who has his eyes on you. Who knows what's going on in the midst of your storm? We often think that comes on, the, on our good days. Like, on our really, really good days, that's when, you know, God gets the praise. But I really think it's in our most vulnerable, our most honest moments. Um, and because our community around us can see what's, what's going on, it can speak into our lives. So as we get on tonight, I want you to consider this is your moment of Jesus passing you by tonight. He's coming, and he's coming mightily to shake things up in your world. He's aware of this tension that you want to live your best life, but he's got a better life in store for you. He's got his best life in store for you. And he's calling you, he's giving you the invitation to get out of the boat, to risk it all for him. And he wants you to know that if fear is stirring in your spirit, that he's there, he can be there immediately to calm you, to reassure you, to take courage, to take heart. Jesus wants to interrupt your discipleship journey tonight so that he can strip you of the fear of man so that you can freely walk out onto the water after him. He wants you to know how much he believes in you. Like, he is so for you. Nothing about him is not for you. Everything is. And he says, you can come out and meet me out here. He wants you to fix your eyes on him, on your Savior, not on the storm. So what is your boat? What is your boat? They're doing everything to control, but Jesus is saying, let go of your grip and come out and experience the greatest adventure of your life. For the next few minutes before we like close, close, I think what's really beautiful about this story is that we have an opportunity to step out and be Jesus to somebody. Because this is a community that needs people like Jesus who are saying, I believe in you. Like, I believe you can get out of your boat and walk forward. So this might be really vulnerable, but I would love for the room to connect with each of you, connect and find, or partner up, find one person. We'll give you like 30 seconds to like sit and process, but I want you to tell one person in this room, name, what is your boat tonight? Like, what is it? And the other person can share theirs and spend the next minute like praying over each other, being that truth, that saying, you can get out of this. Like you can walk forward, you can join him in the adventure. Like, we as community believe that for you. Um, and ask Jesus to come and be the strength that does it for you. It's easy to think you have to do it, but Jesus wants to partner with you. He wants you to know that the spirit that lives inside of you is the one that can get you out of that boat. You're not alone. He is with you um, to make that decision. So I'll take 30 seconds. Take some time to just think and process. And I'll um, point you all to pair up, and then we'll take some time, and I will come back. And we'll close us in prayer and uh, invite the worship team back up. So take some time to just sit and think.